Thursday edition, Locked On NBA, big final, kind of final night. We got two TV games tomorrow, but really this was the the big night with 11 games on the docket heading to the All-Star break. There's some we'll talk about, some we won't. Toronto's win streak did come to an end tonight. Brooklyn wins at 101-91. Ben Golliver joins me. I'm David Locke for the Thursday edition. I got to tell you, I lead with the Lakers tonight. 120-116 in LA. That's the... Uh, matchup of one versus two in the Western Conference standings. And I thought wildly impressive. I'm not sure there's ever been a team that needs an all-star break as badly as the Lakers probably do emotionally. And for the Lakers to be able to, um, you know, win that ball game in overtime against Denver, I- I'm wildly impressed by where the Lakers are. Oh, yeah. I just add one more degree of difficulty because it was actually in Denver on the road. And, I mean, they gutted it out in overtime. A scary moment there when LeBron James goes down. It seems like, does he have a knee injury? What's happening? Uh, He gets up after the timeout, you know, finishes that game off. And I think you could tell. I mean, you're describing how badly they needed the All-Star break. You could just tell from their celebration, though, how much that victory meant to them. Because, of course, it's a big-time statement win over Denver in Denver where Jokic has been having these incredible – uh, you know, clutch moments time and again, and they were able to, you know, force him in actually to some uncharacteristic bad decisions, you know, a late turnover that was big. Uh, LeBron James just absolutely stuffing the box score, 32 points, 12 rebounds, 14 assists, only three turnovers. I mean, just kind of a tour de force performance. And to me, it's kind of a reminder and a warning shot to everybody in these, uh, you know, in this playoff conversation too. It's like, look, you still have to deal with peak LeBron when he wants to turn it on. His ceiling is as high as any player in the league right now. He doesn't necessarily sustain it every single night, but he wanted that game. He just kind of willed the victory. Uh, and the Lakers go into the break, like you said, on a uh, you know a high emotional note. And they've really secured the number one seed. We're twenty nine. We've got twenty nine games left in the season. They've got a five game advantage in the loss column. There's no scenario I can come up with, even if they played what. 29 games, 17 and 12 the rest of the way, which would be losing as many games as they've lost already this season. Denver's not going to go whatever in six, right? Like they just won both games in Denver. The Lakers are the number one seed, will have home court advantage all through the Western Conference playoffs. No, I, I like that. I hadn't even thought of that. You're, you're already, you know, spinning your wheels ahead uh, going forward, but you're right. I mean, think about the amount of energy that you would need to put forward if you were either Denver or the Clippers to close that strong. Does either one of those teams really want to do that? Uh, or are they going to sit pretty and say, hey, w- you know, we like our chances against each other in that second round matchup to kind of earn the right to face the Lakers? Uh, I think, um, you know, we're starting to get some real definition. I'll tell you what, man, on this schedule, we turned the corner so quickly, didn't we? Like, it felt like we were still early in the first half until not that long ago. And now all of a sudden, you know, like you're describing, we're kind of counting the days uh, until the stretch run. I mean, to me, when I'm looking at, you know, what's the most interesting storylines down the stretch, it's basically that race for the eight seed, like whoever has the right to play the Lakers. Um, I think that when I look at the top of the, the Eastern Conference, too, you know, I know Milwaukee dropped one. Uh, before the break without Giannis uh, on Wednesday night as well. And I thought they showed some pretty good heart down the stretch of that game. They, they couldn't you know, pull off the comeback at Indiana. I feel like that race is done too. So uh, maybe the drama is going to be further down the standings as opposed to, you know, at the top right now. Take it the next step. Like, do you, we all are trying to make, we're trying to make it a race, right? Toronto's been awesome. They, they just won a million in a row, lost tonight to Brooklyn 101-91. Um, 
But Milwaukee and L.A. are the number one seeds. Are there really teams that can beat the Lakers or the Bucks in the playoff series? Oh, I think so, definitely. I would actually say the Clippers, to me, are the, the favorite to win the West right now. I know they've had their share of hiccups and conversations about are they on the same page and lots of injury issues. But I look at them coming out of the deadline. I mean, to me, the Morris move was an upgrade. It wasn't like some you know huge grand slam move. But when they add a, an upgrade you know spot to their lineup and the Lakers are you know sort of just treading water, not able to get Darren Collison, don't really do anything at the deadline, I think that just increased the Clippers' depth advantage even more. And I still think, you know, personally, we haven't seen the best from Kawhi this year, and we still haven't seen the best from that duo of Kawhi and Paul George this year. And that's saying something, because Kawhi's been excellent uh, for lots of this season, uh, under the radar like always. And when they've played Kawhi and Paul George together in closing lineups, I think they've been excellent too. So when I'm trying to say which teams out there are best suited to limiting LeBron at his peak – or try to exhaust LeBron, or even the best team suited to match up with a you know a small ball Houston team. Uh, you know, to me, it's still the Clippers, and and so I, I wouldn't get too caught up in that number one seeding conversation in the Western Conference. You know, I do think though in the East, Giannis and the Bucks have established themselves as uh, that premier team, the most reliable team, and I think that you know something would have to go wrong for them uh, not to get out of the Eastern Conference. So I feel more confident in in, um, in Milwaukee than I do the Lakers. Uh, but certainly they're they're both uh, in you know prime position. Interestingly, home court's probably irrelevant if it's the Lakers and the Clippers in the conference finals, obviously. But do you think there's a chance? Denver- well, yeah, it's irrelevant because the Clippers are going to play seven road games. You right. know what I mean? That's the underrated factor of that series is is the crowd. You know, and what's it going to be like? Especially, I mean, I hate to say this, but with the Kobe Bryant thing looming. I mean, the Lakers are going to have an unbelievable level of support within the city and within Staples Center in that playoffs, the whole run through. I mean, there, that's a, a factor that should not be discounted. I see it every day around Los Angeles. I mean, there's signs and tributes to Kobe. Literally every neighborhood you go to, uh, you just can't escape it. And I think that's going to be magnified, you know, once the attention is on that team during the postseason. What do you think Denver's chances of upending the Clippers are having watched Denver play the Lakers tonight? Yeah, look, I mean, they've been impressive all season long. Uh, I still think that they're going to struggle to match up with the Clippers' two wings. Um, You know, I think overall uh, their defense is better than the numbers look right now uh, based on some of the injuries that Denver's had. I think Jokic is a really tough matchup uh, for the Clippers. I'm surprised the Clippers weren't able to pull something off with like a Tristan Thompson or someone else there in the middle just to give them a different look. I mean, they're showing an awful lot of faith. Uh, in Zubak, which would make me just a little bit nervous if I was them going into that series. Uh, You know, personally, when I look at it, I still have Clippers over Nuggets, but what about you? Uh, It's an interesting question. I mean, I just, Denver doesn't match up to me, like, when I look at Denver and analyze them, except for, I just think Jokic is still way better than we realize. I mean, I know he's minus 10 tonight, but, uh, you know, Jamal Murray's not efficient. Gary Harris is underperforming. Paul Millsap's been in and out. They've had crazy injuries this year. I mean, crazy injuries this year. So for them to be 38 and 17 at this point, I think Jokic is just way better than we are. I, you know, I get it. He's not Kawhi and he's not LeBron, but I'm not sure that separation is as far as everybody wants to make it be. And so when you hear about, oh, they've got the best player in the league. uh, All right. You know, I got it. LeBron and Kawhi are another level, but it's not, it's not, it's not like, it's not Bel Air to, you know, 
the Valley. It's it's something a lot. He he's in Bel Air. He might not be behind the gate, but he's in one of the big houses right before you get to the gate. Oh, I hear you, man. He's on my MVP ballot right now, and I think I, it would take something serious to happen there to dislodge that. And it's the power of first impressions. Everybody kind of wrote him off early this season, and he spent the last three months, at least he should have, earned everyone's trust back and more with the consistency of his excellence and his impact on his team's success. Um, you know, when you're looking at just like sheer impact, who's elevating the guys around him, uh, to me, it's it's kind of a three-man convo. You know, it's Giannis, it's LeBron, and it's Jokic in terms of who are, who are making their teammates better on a night-to-night basis. I would even put Jokic above Kawhi and above Harden in that conversation for this season. I don't do that lightly. That's not like, you know, it's like a throwaway line. Uh, that's, you know, that, that's the kind of level he's been playing on this season. And, and I, I think Kawhi's, you know, a guy who Kawhi's getting a pass for some of the things. He's not been as Kawhi every night all the time this year that he has obviously sitting out of him as he has been, or he was last year in the playoffs. Um, or I think even was for Toronto at times. I mean, there's a, I think he's over reliant no, on the mid range. Um, he's not as efficient as he once, as he was a year ago. I, th- I think there's some areas where he's, he's not as quite on the level he was a year ago. No, I'll just say this. I've never seen a better coaster in, in NBA history, you know, at least with my own eyes. And I see the Clippers on a pretty regular basis in person. The guy is just incredible at coasting. He coasts through various quarters. Sometimes he coasts through an entire game. Uh, but I think the, the standout quality to me about Kawhi is like when he needs to turn it on, more often than not, he can go uh, into that sixth gear and, and put games away. And it does seem like if they start to get some negative momentum building or, or people are talking and, and chirping on the outside, oh, you, you guys had this bad loss, what's up? Or they turn it around and just like smack a team uh, like they did the other night against Cleveland to almost like make a statement. Um, you know, don't forget about us. Don't write me off. But yeah, that's why I wouldn't have Kawhi in, in the, the very top tier of this MVP conversation, because you're right. I mean, night to night, I don't think he cares that much, you know, uh, night to night. I think he's just so fully internalized this doctrine of load management of saving himself for the playoffs and doing exactly what's necessary to keep them in position and not, you know, sweat it any more than that, that, you know, to me, when you're, you're weighing overall production and consistency across a season, He's got to be in in the second tier at best for MVP candidates. He's Ben Golliver, Washington Post. There's another two teams in the Western Conference that are worth being mentioned. One of them won tonight. We'll check on that. Maybe get a quick take on small ball Houston as well. And I've got a comment about the Dallas Mavericks and what they're doing. And got a deep intellectual basketball thought for Ben Golliver based on why Duncan Robinson and the Dallas Mavericks. All coming up here as we continue on Locked On NBA. If you're looking to get yourself in a little bit better shape, you're looking for that fist fitness step, get echelonfit.com in your life and discover the EX1 connected fitness bike that offers a high-quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products from everyone, busy moms and dads, first responders, elite athletes, whatever your activity level is, you'll have a daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home and you'll never have to step foot in a gym you'll love echelon but if a hundred you're not 100 percent satisfied we'll get you your money back joins hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with echelon don't pay a ton for peloton buy an echelon bike today for under a thousand dollars go to echelonfit.com slash l-o-n-b-a that's echelonfit.com slash l-o-n-b-a for a limited time free apple ipad and complete details on exclusive offer echelon it's your time 
echelon, E-C-H-E-L-O-N, fit.com slash L-O-N-B-A, echelon, fit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. The Utah Jazz beat the Miami Heat, who are quietly 8-9 and nine in their last 17 games uh, tonight at home. The Utah Jazz were in Miami on December 23rd. They traded for Jordan Clarkson. They cut Jeff Green, and they changed their rotation, adding Tony Bradley as a backup center. They completely changed the team. Since that day, the Utah Jazz are 18-6, and 60-win team, with the number one offense in the NBA, which is hovering around 119 points per 100 possession, about the 14th-ranked defense, the number two differential. They have not played the five best defensive teams in the league in that time period. That's worth noting. How good is this basketball team, Ben? No, they've been looking good. Sometimes I've seen them in person. They look phenomenal. I wanted to ask you, though, I mean, people continue to circle the Conley factor for them and and what what do you view as his role in this turnaround, or maybe even Quinn Snyder's setup handling of him uh, within the rotation here over, say, the last uh, however many weeks he's been back? Is that a major contributing factor when you're looking at the list of you know other positive developments for them? Is that not actually as big of a deal? I don't think it's a very big deal. In fact, I think the truth is they've actually still been much better when Mike Conley's not on the floor than when he's been on the floor, which is kind of a stunner. Um, in this, like, frankly, Conley has been very good himself. Uh, when, when he has come back, they put him back in the starting lineup in the last four games. He's been in the starting lineup. I think he was averaging 20 points and five rebounds and five assists. So he was kind of back to being Mike Conley, but he didn't play in the game in Dallas due to load management types, you know, knee soreness. He didn't play tonight because of the flu. Um, They've actually been fine without him. Uh, their offensive rating, in, they're 18 and 6. Their offensive rating in the last 24 games is an 118.6. Like, yeah, it's wild, man. And look, I, I like Bogdanovich here, too. I mean, to me, that game winner might have been the game winner of the year uh, when he hit with two rockets draped all over and probably got fouled from super deep. I mean, just, you know, incredible uh, fortitude or, or whatever you want to call it on that one. There's been some, you know, real high moments for them. Uh, they're playing like the team I thought they would be. I mean, I was flirting with them as the number one seed coming into the season. And, of course, the, the first couple of months made that look, uh, you know, incredibly overly ambitious. But on paper, they look like they have basically every box covered. I expected their offense to take a big step forward this season. So some of this is like them getting back, uh, you know, closer to what my expectations were and maybe even what some of the, the models thought they could be. Um, the other factor I like about their season, though, and this is like a, a smaller deal, I just like that they pulled the trigger on the Clarkson trade when they did because it did seem like that was necessary for them. It did seem like it injected something to their um, you know, rotation that they were clearly missing. And I feel like so many teams just kind of wait to do those types of moves where you know it, it's not the world's biggest trade. Um, and it did come with some risk in, in parting with a guy in Exum who obviously – they had a lot of capital, just, you know, time, energy invested in over the years, kind of waiting for him to get back healthy. Why wait to do that move on the deadline? And now you're not even feeling the benefits of it. You know, do it when they did it early uh, and, you know, get yourself some momentum going into the all-star break. Uh, like I said, minor deal, but I enjoyed that. I think you're, I mean, it's an interesting comment, right? They're going to get 50 some odd games out of Jordan Clarkson. Whereas everybody else is getting 24 games out of, like, don't you think Mo Harkless and a pick could have gotten, Marcus Morris, I guess maybe they it was going to take them firing people to get that one done at the end. So it, never <laughs> well, mind. it should have. Yeah, never yeah, mind. I, 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 I was using logic deal, with right? the Knicks. I'll never do that again. My apologies. 
Um, <laughs> all right, I have a question for you. This is kind of my deep thought about the NBA. We just saw Dallas. We played Dallas the other night. I watched Dallas. Uh, Dallas's offensive rating tonight was a 128 against Sacramento, okay, with Luka back. Dallas is the number one offense in the NBA this year, and they're historically the best offense in the NBA ever. Their offensive rating is a 116.5. They are three points better than any other team in the league. Just to put this in perspective, the Golden State Warriors that won 73 games offense was a 113.5. Okay, the Golden State Warriors, who we thought like there could never be a better offense than the Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry last year, was a 115. Go back to 2006, like the best offense in the league was a 112. There was only one offense. This is incredible. 2006, 2007, there was only one offense in the league above 110. This year, the 15th ranked team in the league is a 110.4. Average. Where are we going? Well, we're I, going to a better place, man. I, we're just seeing smarter and smarter design. We're seeing more and more players capable of shooting. You know, there was a transition there where it's like everybody wanted shooters. So, like, you know, guys were being thrust into roles that were maybe uh, a little bit too much for them. But now you're seeing, you know, shooters have been, uh, you know, in fashion here since the start of the Steph Curry era. Um, all the guys who are being asked to take these shots for the most part, especially on the best offenses can hit them. There's space everywhere. Playmakers like Luca are putting up, you know, obscene individual per game numbers uh, and incredible uh, advanced stats. I mean, Luca's got the best age 20 PER in NBA history. Uh, and he's carrying that into the all-star break. Uh, and I mean, I just think that it's a combination of analytics, making these teams smarter players evolving the three-point sh- shot becoming more and more commonplace for, you know, basically guys across the, uh, you know, across the positional spectrum. And with Dallas specifically, the thing I like about watching their offense, you know, it's the whole, like, you know, trade a good shot for a great shot. I feel like those guys are just incredibly unselfish, moving the ball around the perimeter. And they all just kind of believe like, hey, look, if I make the extra pass on this possession, it's, the ball is going to eventually find me when I'm wide open, you know, a few possessions down the road. And, you know, there's just a trust in their overall system. And, of course, you know, none of it looks as pretty or as devastating without Luka. I mean, he's the straw that stirs the drink. Wait, wait, wait. But I think wait, wait, wait. A lot of, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. They were better without Luka. Yeah, well, Offensively. you can't. Are you going to tell me that they would sustain that all season no, without Luka? No, but it's I mean, a he's crazy. Been incredible, man. Wait a sec. The last seven games, when they played without Luka, or maybe the last eight, if you include tonight, because that's the easiest I can do quickly, their offensive rating was a 121. This is what blew my mind, Ben. This is what got me. I'm watching them play the other night. They have Chris Dapps Porzingis. Okay, he's interesting. I'm not convinced he's great. He's interesting. They're playing Seth Curry and Dorian Finney-Smith. There's nothing about this team, when I look at them, that to me should be the greatest offensive team in the history of the game. DeLon Wright. Jalen Brunson. Maxi Kleber. Kleber. Tim Hardaway Jr.? Even if you put Luke on that, what th- this is the greatest offensive team we've ever seen. Yeah, well, look, I think first of all, we do need to do a little bit of like era adjustment on the stats, but I also think you're selling Lucas short here, man. I understand what you're saying, and, and that kind of speaks to my point about like their overall buy into their system. Like they have a really smart, you know, well spaced offense, they stick to it. Uh, they're good at generating really high quality looks, and they're good at shooting three pointers. Like, it, you know, it, it makes sense. 
on some level. But I also think just night to night, Luca's just been an absolute animal this season. And he generates great shots for himself. Uh, you know, his own three-point percentage could be a little bit better. If anyone suffers from maybe a little bit too much self-confidence on their, on their team in terms of taking bad shots, it's definitely him. Um, and that could be showing through a little bit in the, in the team-wide efficiency numbers when he's healthy. But um, I just think, like, overall, when we're talking about lead playmakers to run an offense at a very high level, uh, he's top three, top four to me right now already at age 20. And coming into the season, I didn't see it. I just I thought it would be, you know, at least a couple more years till he got that level. I'm elaborating on this argument as we continue because I actually have some more thoughts on it. It is Ben Golliver, Washington Post. I'm David Locke, locked on NBA. Remember, if uh, Ben and I in the weeks past talked about calm, both of us uh, are into meditation, and Ben, I think, has probably been more successful with it than I have, though I have to admit I've had major breakthroughs recently um, and have noticed the impact of it. Uh, calm.com slash locked on. Get 40% off a premium membership calm.com slash locked on. I've actually taken the new how to meditate. It's like a 21 day class, even though I've done a bunch of it. It's actually helped a great deal. Uh, in the past, I knocked out, uh, the 21 days of calm. I knocked out the seven days of gratitude. They have a bunch of great series for you all at calm.com. And if you go to calm.com slash locked on, plus they have the daily calm every day, which is just a 10 minute quick meditation, uh, for you. LeBron's on, Bunch of done a bunch of things there involving sleep. If you're looking for help with sleep, uh, LeBron's involved with Calm on the sleep end of things. That's calm.com slash locked on. All right, here's what here's where I'm going with this, Ben. Like, are we getting to 120 offensive rating? Are we getting to a 125? Duncan Robinson is like, if you look at Miami's offensive ratings, when Duncan Robinson is on the floor, they're through the roof. This guy's like one of the most valuable players. In the NBA, I, I watched the Utah Jazz go through shoot around. Like I, I can't even tell you what percentage of shoot around was about Duncan Robinson. And Duncan Robinson has my new favorite thing in life, which I call the Duncan Robinson line, where Duncan Robinson tonight takes six, 13 threes, goes I think six of thirteen, and only takes thirteen threes. Those are all I took. We haven't had players who can get thirteen threes off without the ball in their hand. What happens when? We have a team in five years that has Damian Lillard type player at the point guard because he grew up watching Dame and has Duncan Robinson as the wing player. And suddenly they're shooting 65 threes a game and making them. Well, I think we could go even further than that and say what happens when you have that lead playmaker and then three guys who are, you know, elite three-point level shooters and kind of interchangeable wings being able to play at the two, three, and four. And then you have a center maybe who's not an you know, elite uh, shooter but can step out uh, and you know, hit a corner three when you need it so you can play five out with those guys. I mean, I think we're going there. Um, I think the Houston Rockets as a franchise have kind of wanted that to happen for like the last 10 years, and we've been just kind of like slowly, gradually – you know, getting towards that. And you know, they still have Westbrook, so they're, they're not going to be like, you know, true five-out type of team. But, you know, their super small ball experiments, another example of, you know, being able to spike your offensive efficiency in ways that we haven't seen before. I'm sensing something in your voice that you're like resistant to this. You don't want this? Or are you, is your mind just blown? I think my mind's just blown. I mean, really, honestly, I don't mean this. It sounds critical to Dallas. That shouldn't be the greatest offensive team we've ever seen. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, well, look, like when, I think when Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, too, right? when Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and 
and Kevin Durant, like that made sense to me. And I could watch them be like, oh, that's the best. Like James Harden doing what James Harden's been doing. I, I got that. Like, and I get Luca's great, but I, I, yeah, no, I think it's more my mind. I just think we're like Davis Bertans and Duncan Robinson are having so much more impactful a season than people realize. Well, you're going to love the three-point contest then because they're both in it. <laughs> they're both going to probably get up a lot of three-pointers and maybe even some of those new deep ball three-pointers. Uh, and so there you go. There's your plug for All-Star Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, I guess you also have, like, by the way, my last week has been seeing the Blazers twice, the Rockets twice, Duncan Rock. Like, I've seen this in person for the last few weeks. Like, Dame's been ridiculous, right? I saw Dame twice in the midst of this run. And speaking of that, let's talk about that. Memphis, massive win tonight, 111-104. But Dame leaves with a groin injury, will not participate in All-Star Weekend. Portland has had just been cursed, this would be the massive of all curses. Oh, this is a really, really, really brutal loss for them. I mean, the the last game before the All-Star break, right, in the closing minutes of that game, it's going to be one of those what-ifs that could hang over their whole season. They've had so many injury issues, like you mentioned, but, I mean, Dave has carried them through basically everything. And for the NBA, they not only lose Damian Lillard as the headliner of the three-point contest that I mentioned earlier, they lose him rapping on All-Star Saturday night. I mean, he was part of the musical uh, plan, uh, you know, for the, you know, for the, for the showcase night. And they also lose him, of course, from the all-star game too. So from the NBA side, it's a massive loss from the Blazers side though, you know, they lose to Memphis in a game that, you know, has major, you know, playoff implications as well. They're on a back-to-back where they had, had given up a career high to Zion down in new Orleans and they go to Memphis and take a loss there. I think that this definitely opens the door up for Memphis. I know they have a pretty difficult, uh, you know, closing uh, schedule, but this is going to give them a little boost for sure. And then also the Pelicans, it, it opens up the door for the Pelicans big time. I mean, they've been fighting through a very crowded group of teams that includes San Antonio and Portland, trying to get themselves back in uh, the playoff picture, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess between them and, and Memphis, hopefully. And now New Orleans riding Zion, who's just been sensational over these first couple of weeks uh, of his season. Now I think they're back in the mix too. It, it depends obviously on how long Lillard is out, but, it sounded like a groin injury, uh, and you know he was you know immediately scratched from the All Stars. So that doesn't sound great for Portland's prospects. No, it's interesting because if you go to Basketball Reference five thirty eight and um, ESPN, I think all of them had Portland as the favorite. Now, uh, I know for a while um, they had New Orleans as the favorite, but I think as of today, Portland was the team projected to win forty. New Orleans thirty eight at ESPN, and I think five thirty eight might have had uh New Orleans but it wasn't if if not it was close so that you know Portland had kind of stepped themselves up to being uh the favorite to be the eighth playoff team and Pelicans were at 41 Portland was at 40 on 538 so if they missed aim for two games three games that would be that would swing that for sure, and it could be another situation where, like the 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 West eight seed or the West ninth seed winds up having a better record than the the East's uh, seventh and eighth seeds. And when you're looking at the, the caliber of star that could be left out of the playoffs this year, whether it's Zion uh, in terms of his just interest, whether it's Damian Lillard in favor of you know some of these teams in the Eastern Conference that are going to be getting in, whether it's Brooklyn who hasn't had Kyrie basically all year. Um, or Orlando, which, you know, I think they're going to be swept out of the playoffs so fast by Milwaukee. None of us even remembers it. Uh, again, it's an argument for taking the best 16 teams, uh, regardless of conference, 
uh, you know, Western Conference elitists like myself will bang this drum forever, but it's going to be pretty rough for the NBA's, you know, TV ratings if one of those stars winds up sitting at home because of these injury issues when we have a, you know, a very weak eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. He's Ben Golliver. I'm David Locke. This has been Locked on NBA, the Thursday edition. Anthony and uh, Adam will be with you for the Friday edition, getting you ready for All-Star Weekend. Uh, other games, by the way, just Phoenix beat Golden State, 112-106. Dallas, as mentioned, scored 130 on Sacramento. What a mess. Charlotte beat Minnesota, 115-108. Carl Anthony Towns did not play with a wrist injury. Um so the worst offense in the NBA scored 115 points against Minnesota. Uh, as we met Washington, 114, New York, 96 tonight. Milwaukee without Giannis fell to Indiana, 118 to 111. Victor Oladipo had 13. Brooklyn ended Toronto streak, 101 to 91. And Detroit, Orlando beat Detroit and Cleveland. And Atlanta played and they kept track. And Cleveland won. That wrapped it. Thank you very much, Ben. Have a great time at All-Star Weekend. Enjoy stormy, snowy, cold Chicago. I will. I'll do my best. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. He's Ben Golliver. Go grab his uh, newsletter at WashingtonPost.com for great insight on the NBA. Have a great day. And remember, Rejecting the Screen comes out with an ISO edition on Thursdays. So tell your smart device to play podcast Rejecting the Screen.